Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is Dr. Mark Shapiro. Uh, My guest today is Joanne Conroy, uh, who is joining me from Massachusetts. So we are on opposite coast this evening. Uh, She is the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Leahy Hospital and Medical Center in Massachusetts. She's also one of the founding members of a really interesting group, and this is the reason why she's joining us to talk about it, is a group called Women of Impact. Um, and it's, it's so fun how these things all come together through social media and looking at various blogs, and then all of a sudden we're connected, and here we are recording a podcast. So Joanne, thank you so much for joining us on Explore the Space. Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here. So Women of Impact, this is a, it's an interesting sort of study in physician activism, in the power of a collective group kind of coming together to, to put a voice out into the community. Let's just start from the beginning, though. How does something like Women of Impact come together? Where is the sort of germination of this idea, and how do you launch it to get so many interesting, powerful, uh, and motivated people in one place at the same time? So uh, we started probably three years ago, and I have to say that I was probably the first disciple of this. I attended a leadership conference with women that were not in healthcare, and it was called Living Your Legacy, which was bringing together women that were at a point in their careers that they had a tremendous amount of influence, and it was using that influence to accomplish a legacy that's actually bigger than yourself. It was a legacy that actually impacted and benefited many people. Out of that experience, and I have to say it's one of the best leadership experiences I ever had, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to be a public figure to drive the conversation about how to create a sustainable system of healthcare in the U.S. So, that's Once a big I ask. Actually, That's a big ask to put on yourself after one ask. night at a conference. Yeah, and and you have to actually say it publicly. Yeah, and you have to um, share it and get feedback from people. And frankly, the women in the room from Shell Oil, from Microsoft, from Google, actually kind of sharpened the articulation of my legacy and made it much more powerful. So then the question is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And so I took that legacy and said, well. I actually know a lot of women that are interested in changing healthcare. And so within a year, I actually convened 23 women in Washington, D.C., and actually sought and uh, received funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation of about $95,000 to bring these women together for a three-day experience. These women were from industry. They were providers. They were um representatives from the U.S. government. They were uh, lobbyists. They were patient advocates. Um, So they came from all walks of life. They went through a three-day program. The first two days was really focused on understanding the meaning of creating a legacy. And there are four tenets of creating a legacy. Um, One is being committed to something that's bigger than yourself. Another tenet is being authentic. Another tenant is being 100% responsible for 
for your actions. And um, these women actually went through almost a transformative experience. It was really fascinating to watch women that many of us aspire to be like. They're public role models. They're um, leaders of organizations and, you know, people that have just incredible positions of responsibility in the federal government to actually say, I've actually never thought of my life in this way. You you often go through your life doing things as if there are a series of tasks. You don't actually do things with a purpose and for a purpose. And so by determining what they wanted to contribute, number one, they had a whole different lens about the decisions they made in their life. But then we spent the third day talking about what we were going to do to fix healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that's where it became really interesting because the first two days were the glue that brought these people together that realized that number one, we had a common mission, which was healthcare was broken and we should all work together to do something about it. Number two, we understood that we one organization could not do this by itself. The government can, industry can. It's one of those societal problems that's so difficult to actually attack successfully that you actually needed to pull people across many different cohorts of society to actually bring relevant solutions to the problem. And it was really, it was really transformative for the women in the room. And we, landed on three separate issues that we thought were critical and we could do something about, even though we had a laundry list of things that we thought were broken. And we approached them um, in a couple ways. Number one, um, not only identifying what the problems were, but what could we actually do to fix it? So the problems we landed on were, number one, we disempower patients every day um, when we deliver care. It, it starts with, you know, how we greet patients, even, even to the clothes we wear. You know, we wear white coats, and the longer the coat is, the more important you are. And that <laughs> does something to patients. Yeah. I mean, I have friends that are investment bankers, and they manage billion-dollar portfolios, and yeah. they're reduced to a puddle in front of their primary care physician because they don't want to make them mad. Yeah. So we do that all the time. The yeah. second thing is there's somebody's and nobody's in healthcare. You know, we, we can talk about the fact that everybody has insurance now and, you know, it's much more, you know, accessible for people, but there are somebodies and nobodies in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, the people in, who are nobodies are people that have bad insurance or they have high deductibles and they don't actually believe they have a voice. They're really not activated. And finally, it's the language of healthcare. We always talk about illness instead of wellness. And, um, we're so we have our heads so in identifying and treating illness that we spend very little time on actually getting people to change their focus and actually think about being healthier. So those are the three areas that we thought we could do something about. Yeah, when when you start off and you're getting these these just a, boiling it down to getting a cohort of really really smart people in a room at the same time. Did you feel like the best way to get there was to really leverage that, hey, we need to find that sense of a shared greater purpose? Or was there something else that you were able, when you're first emailing them or you're first calling them to say, this is important, we're all busy, but we need to carve out 
a full three days to put heads together to solve this. What was the lever? And the reason I ask this is this, this idea of activism, particularly within medicine, what are the levers that are successful to motivate and get people to congregate and move forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So I personally invited women Mm -hmm. and I either knew them, knew of them, or somebody told me about them. And I constructed the group, um, to actually be representative of many stakeholder groups. But I also picked women that were very influential. Mm -hmm. And what drove them to come together is a lot of them did not know each other. Uh And they were wanted to be part of a group of women that they were saying, wow, why did you invite me? So it was interesting how, um, how women that, um, I would I would think would um, say well you know what I, I don't I don't have the time for this not out of the twenty five women I invited only two turned me down wow I know it was amazing. That's amazing and I think they were they were just thrilled to be invited to this conversation with this group uh huh and this thing I, that some of my friends and I have done it's obviously a much much smaller scale but it's that same idea figure out a way to get people into a room, bring their ideas, bring their concerns, bring their problem solving skills and say, you've got this background. I have this background. Your background is this. Let's mix this together. And here we, here, here you have women of impact.net. Oh yeah. And I have to say that, um, they shared things with each other after the first six hours that they said, we have, I've never shared. Huh? this with anybody and it was really so you can actually create that incredible kind of energy and glue Mm -hmm. and i think the first thing is i mean they had to give up something to get there these are really busy women that you know were running hospitals and running government agencies and they had to take like their vacation time to come and do this so they were committed when they got there and um it was really fascinating to see the energy in the room and actually see each individual <clears throat> kind of open up and develop. Yeah. When you galvanize a group like that, um, obviously great things, interesting things are going to happen. Um, I, I mentioned there's womenofimpact.net and on that site is your white paper. And I want everyone who's listening to this to check out the white paper uh, because it really captures a lot of what I think came out of that, that, first meeting. Yes. It's one thing to take that first step. All of us, you know, in various stages of our careers, project management, things like this, you start, you get momentum and people are excited. It's keeping it moving. That can sometimes be tricky. It's, it's keeping the ship moving forward, particularly when the wind picks up or something. How have things gone now that there's been a few, there's been a number of months now that have elapsed in terms of moving on the mission building, building solutions, staying in contact, if nothing else. Yeah. So it's almost three years Yeah, and we get together at least twice a year. Definitely the entire group gets together in Washington every summer Mm -hmm. and we try to get together, you know, sometime halfway through the year and either in the very late fall or early winter. Um, We have calls and so we connect and we actually have a very active kind of email a circle mm-hmm. where um, 
we actually share each other's accomplishments because individuals have their own legacies out of this, meaning one of the women quit her job and started a not-for-profit on patient voices. Hmm. Several people actually have left their jobs because they said, you know what, I'm in a job that I really don't want to do. And it actually came out of this personal reflection about what are we going to do to fix healthcare. But they learned something about themselves and they became passionate about doing things with and for a purpose uh-huh. instead of just going through their life in a series of tasks or up a career ladder that really didn't mean that much to them. How do they go out and sort of then spread that idea of here is a purpose that I, I've shared in with this group and to kind of bring more people into the fold. I mean, I can't imagine you expected that that first meeting was going to have this sort of an impact, but it obviously, it's got to be rippling, right? I mean, it has to be extending beyond that first 23. Right. So we're doing a couple of things. Number one, we're starting to spread the word in the conversation. So I speak at any number of meetings where we actually present um, what we've been doing in an open forum. And there are always a tremendous number of questions that people want to know how they get involved and engaged. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is we are just convening the second group. So we have another 25 women who are incredibly impressive that we're convening as their own group. They'll go through kind of the legacy experience, but then say, now you as a group, you know, what do you want to attack in healthcare? And so we also have a young women's group, uh, kind of a young engaged group. They're, they're actually probably 25 to 35 years old. That also we've got a mentoring program going on between our senior women and our junior women. So, you know, we're really trying to create kind of a ripple effect mm-hmm. of engaging people in this, number one. Um, I think that... Um, the glue that keeps us together is that kind of individual initial two day session where you really um, do a lot of, you reflect on yourself and you reflect with other women in the room that want to make a difference. So, um, and we want to create that experience for another group of women. We'll be connected. And when we meet, we'll all meet together, but then we'll kind of separately meet as groups to work on our, Um, kind of commitments. Now, let me talk a little bit about like getting stuff done. You beat me to it. (laughs) Absolutely. So, so obviously you, you know, I've talked with some other people on other episodes. One of them was Regina Holiday, who started the walking gallery. And it's this really interesting, powerful movement of, you mentioned the patient voice and she's an artist and she's built this movement and it has moved forward and it is kind of, but it is, it's tough to get to that part of where is the tangible benefit? So yeah, I mean, this is the template. You, you've, you've got this shared purpose. You've, you've got this amazing, uh, ideal that obviously people want to buy into. Uh, you've got a building groundswell now of motivated, bright folks. So yeah, now we talk about what the next lever, because all of us can learn from this, the lever of turning that into something tangible. Yeah. So when you look at, um, collective impact and we, took a page out of the Stanford social review. They had several articles on collective impact, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, how you actually organize across the social movement. And a good example is like the women who wear red, you know, that started with, I think a small group of women in Pennsylvania and it became this national campaign as I got bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
that's an example of collective impact. But there's certain things you require. I mean, you have to have a shared mission, which we have. You have to have a way to communicate, which we've established. Mm -hmm. You do have to have kind of an infrastructure in order to keep people connected and get stuff done. Right. And you have to have a way to measure your success. So getting back to like getting stuff done. Well, we actually latched on to the um, Malcolm Gladwell's and the theory of the broken windows. That delighted me no end. I was so happy when I saw that on the white paper and on the website. It's hard to find people who have had a more interesting and unexpected impact on the way we all think about things, problem solving, skill building than than Gladwell. So, yeah, that was just a I I have that on the thing. We had to talk about Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, it's um, it was actually a great construct. Uh And you can argue about the broken windows and you argue about crime in the New York subway and what actually um, yeah, decreased crime in the subway, et cetera. But if you think about it, people act um, within a certain context. And I use the example, if you're sitting in your car and, you know, somebody who comes up that looks very, you know, unkempt and, you know, they have a squirt bottle and an old rag and they look like they're going to reach to, um, you know, do something to your windshield, um, you would have a certain reaction because that's a context and you, you make a lot of assumptions. And if someone walked up in a New Jersey state police officer uniform, you have a different context. You mm-hmm. you say, what did I do wrong? It, it kind of, there's things in the environment that create this um, response for us. Just I think like you mentioned the white coat, right? Uh, someone yes. with a long white coat walks in the room. This is going to get a very visceral response. White coat hypertension. I mean, it's it's a it's a known entity. It it causes right. that visceral response. That's right. So, um, if you think about the whole broken window theory in the New York subway, everybody reacts with a certain context, and the environment actually reinforces it or it changes it. And I think in New York, they felt that if they changed the environment, cleaned it up, no more graffiti, they cleaned up all the broken windows in the subway, the subways were clean, they were, policemen were evident, it changed the environment so people acted differently. And yeah, I think there's a lot of crowd theory that say that people are very susceptible to acting within their environments. So the question is, what's the environment in healthcare that we have to change? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we thought specifically, we spent a lot of time on the empowerment um, issue. And we said, you know, what if the first interaction you had with your doctor's office wasn't a transaction? You know, they say, can I have your insurance card? Yeah, yeah. What if it was something else? Something like, how are you feeling today? <laughs> right. What if the <laughs> first thing the doctor said to you when you sat down in the exam room was what do you want to get out of our visit today? Mm -hmm. And the end of the visit, it is, did we hit all the things that you wanted to talk about today? Mm -hmm. And if we thoughtfully integrated that into every single office visit, how would that change that patient's feeling of empowerment? Mm -hmm. We also talked about the clothes we wear. I mean, there, there's actually an infection control theory that we shouldn't be wearing coats because they might not be as clean as we think when we wear them day after day. Um, 
you know, should all providers wear scrubs? And um, if we wore scrubs, is that less threatening mm-hmm. than a white cup? Mm-hmm. There, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, it's I, identifying and testing. So and when we, you were in clinical practice for a long time, right, in anesthesia, when, mm-hmm. when, when you're now in this meeting and these things are coming up, are you thinking about, man, I did a lot of these things really well, or wow, I maybe had some missed opportunities and I'd like to have them back. And, and did other people in these meetings kind of have the same feeling of, boy, there are some immediate pivots I need to make, or you know what, I think I am on the right track based on what I'm hearing from the rest of these people at the table? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of conversation about that, but we actually even went further and we said, okay, if we did this, how could we test it? Uh-huh. And you know what, right now at Leahy, I actually have the perfect learning lab. So, you know, I, I think the group is at, at the point now, let's land on something and let's test it. Okay. So before we basically say, um, you know, these are the issues we want to address, but this is the first thing we want to do around patient empowerment. I want to test it in, and I can do control groups. We see 1.4 million people a year at the Leahy Clinic um, actually take one clinic and actually change the behavior of everybody that interacts with that patient and then go to another different clinic and just don't do anything and let them interact the Mm -hmm. way they are Mm -hmm. currently. And then we can actually test patient activation. We can test patient satisfaction and we can probably even test provider satisfaction in those clinics and see if we can get measurable changes by actually changing the context with which that first clinic operates. I think that, there is when you make that comparison, obviously I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to look too far into the crystal ball, but it, it's just, it's hard to think that when you start pulling, you know, as you say, setting a context where people are going to feel like they're being listened to cared about and that they're going to be cared for by experts. And then on the flip side, people who are going to be helping deliver that care are going to feel like I'm doing the best work I can at the top of my license with a team that we're all really working in lockstep. I mean, I think that the, I think that the success is likely going to be evident. And then again, you then want to, you know, generalize it in a manner that, that captures as many people as possible within such a huge organization as the Leahy. Right. And, and then you actually talk about starting a campaign and Mm -hmm, you say, yeah, mm -hmm. it worked here. Yeah, We know it, it's the evidence. So what could we do as a group of pretty influential women across the country saying almost you have to have a campaign around it. Um, Just like um, one of our colleagues has started patient voices. You you have to have a little bit of a campaign about not only do we want people to have these conversations, but tomorrow start this Mm -hmm. because this works and it works because of X, Y, and Z. And we have the evidence and um, it's, inexpensive and it just requires a change in context. You know, when you change the context, you actually call to action a whole different set of behaviors. And when you give the, the team too, I think in my experience, when you're again, trying to build this idea of shared purpose, a lot of the pushback sometimes comes. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I don't want, I don't want to, when you can set the context of look, this works, as you say, it's going to be at the minimum time neutral. It's going to make your patient's experience way more effective and empowering. You, you you get a logarithmic growth of buy-in as opposed to just shoehorning it down someone's throat saying, all right, you have to do it this way. Right. 
you have to always start with the why. Yeah. And then you go to the what and you go to the how. Yeah. So where are you now on this timeline? Obviously, you started a couple of years ago. Um, you gave yourselves a huge tasking. Where, yeah. where, what does the timeline look like for women of impact? Uh, so right now we're, um, we're on track in terms of convening the groups and actually getting the word out yeah. and trying to, um, start kind of ripples with other groups. Um, right now we're probably having the detailed conversations about, um, really testing the specific initiatives and then measuring their impact and then deciding which ones we actually want to roll out mm -hmm. in a campaign. When you bring these to the board of Leahy hospital and medical center and other women who you're working with, bring it to their, wherever they need to go um, to launch these things. Are you meeting with enthusiasm? Are you meeting with resistance? Are you meeting something in between? So our board is actually incredibly enthusiastic. Uh -huh. We they're very focused on patient safety yeah. and patient experience. And our LHMC board and our board of governors, which are it's all physician run, physician led, yeah. are enthusiastic and our patient family advisory committee is totally on board. So anything that actually improves the patient experience right. is is it's gold. Um, it's gold. Right in their right in their wheelhouse. Sure. Yeah. Are, are you surprised with the the level of enthusiasm that you're hearing? Did you or did you expect it saying, "Look, we're we're onto something, and this is correct"? Uh, but are you surprised at how much large entities, which can move slowly sometimes, are grabbing onto this and asking you to take it forward? So I I think that um, people are trying to improve the experience for patients. And I think we make it more complicated than it needs to be. Hmm. We know that the patient experience, at least in the outpatient setting, just sits squarely on the physician or the nurse practitioner or the PA's interaction with that patient. That is the driver of patient experience. If people feel like they have um, had a really productive visit, visit and their needs have been attended to, they are going to rate that provider mm -hmm. very, very high on their patient experience. Sure. Have you had other people, men or women, say, you know what, I want to start a movement too. I, I have an idea. I have something that's important to me. I see what you're doing. How, can, can you give me some guidance on my on the pathway that I want to set out on, are you starting to have people bring these questions and ideas to you to build on what you have already established? You know, a lot of people when we speak publicly come up afterwards and say, "How can we get started?" Uh -huh. We actually met with some of the students from the master's program at the Harvard School of Public Health, uh -huh. and they were really enthusiastic about doing something on their own. I think every single age cohort has a different perspective in terms of what they think they can contribute, but people really do want to contribute. People they, want to contribute. Want people want to be that value added that makes a difference, you know, and, and I think that what you've built is, uh, it's an interesting seed crystal to see what's going to come out of it. Yeah. Do you have a sense of what the next couple of years are going to look like 
both for you and your organization, but also, again, this idea of activism within medicine of what may change and what we can expect. Yeah. So we actually knew that we had a three-year timeline, that these things take a while to get momentum. And the hardest thing is figuring out what to do, meaning there's so many things you can do. Mm -hmm. What's your intervention going to be? And how can you measure whether or not you're making a difference? Because people want to make a difference. They want to say, yeah, this works. So I think just being able to um, give people a different way of thinking about how to be activists, Mm -hmm. you know, fixing a, looking at things um, from the perspective of shifting the context is actually really easy to do. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm Gladwell talks about that a lot in his book. And we don't often take advantage of that. You know, people think that, um, People think that being involved is going to take a lot of time and um, and sometimes they never really fit it into um, what they do on a day-to-day basis. But once they actually get involved, they realize they get far more than they give when they're really activists mm-hmm. in improving something they feel passionate about. So, I, you know, I think once people get a taste of it, they keep getting engaged. All of us know people that have been involved in foreign you know, medical missions. You know, how many of those people actually go back year after year after year because they're getting so much out of it. And um, it's just kind of hooking people in that they can actually make a difference. They'll stay hooked. Uh, this is incredibly exciting. And I, it's going to be fun to, to follow the journey that women of impact is on but again, it's that, I think it's even more so, it's going to be that ripple effect. It's people learning about what you've started, seeing that template, seeing how to pull those levers and saying, you know what, I want my own purpose and I want to find people to share it with me, whether it's within medicine or w- whatever it may be. I, I, I think it's going to be a really exciting thing. For those who want to learn more about this and see that template and reach out and connect, where do they find you? So womenofimpact.net is our website and we've got all of our contact information on there. We're posting blogs and uh, Vinnie Aurora, who's part of the group out of the university of Chicago is very, very active on social media. So um, there are any number of ways to connect with us. So we can find you on Twitter as well, right? Yep. Yep. So what I'll do, we'll, 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 when this episode goes up, we'll make sure that the, the, the links for Twitter are available on the, uh, on the, the post as well. So people can certainly find you. This is really illuminating and it's, uh, it's, it's fun to be able to learn about how you are leveraging so many powerful and intelligent people and then allowing that to ripple out. And I think it's, it's going to be really exciting to see what happens with all of this over the next few years, both the intended consequences and then also the unintended consequences. Yeah. So down the road, you'll come back and you'll join us and you'll, you'll catch us up on, on how things are evolving and what we can expect coming forward. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.